Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 108 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Joey. How are you? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's jump straight into things. Let's go straight forward with the reviewing from last week. There's a fight to mention that took place last Thursday. Um, that fight happened over in the Casino del Sol in Tucson, Arizona, USA. Just one fight to mention on that bill. A friend of the show, undefeated prospect, Hector Tanahara. He moved to 11-0, and a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Jesus Serrano, who was 17-4 and with two draws. So Hector Tanahara now 11-0, and and Jesus Serrano now 17-5 and with two draws. Uh, one thing I will mention about this this actual fight here. There was a fight before the fight, um, which actually included Hector Tanahara's trainer, which is Robert Garcia, the, uh, you know, obviously the former world champion in his own right, the brother of Mikey Garcia. He got into some kind of fight, I think maybe in a hotel foyer or something before the fight, and the police were... uh, you know, w- w- were detaining him. The uh, there was a video going round of him, you know, being being arrested by the police, which was quite mad. I think he uh, perhaps maybe hit like a like some kind of I don't know. I think he was like a fan or something that shouted something out. I think he may have hit him. Not quite sure, but um, all the very best to those guys. I like Robert Garcia. It, it must have been for a good reason, anyway. Uh, moving over now to Russia at the Trade Union Sport Palace. Um, in Nagorny, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one fight to mention on this bill, Andrei Sorokin, 13-0, and actually picked up a win against Ricardo Mayorga. This one was for the vacant WBA International Super Middleweight title. Now, obviously, I've said before, Ricardo Mayorga's a complete nutcase. 32-9 and with, with one draw going in. Um, it was a retirement after nine rounds, Ricardo Mayorga actually retired in the fight due to an injury. I haven't seen that fight at all, but um, you know, Mayorga always brings some kind of unpredictability. Um, I was quite surprised here that he actually made it to the ninth round because he's, uh, you know, definitely doesn't live the life up at super middleweight now. Um, he's he's age forty four. Looking at it, you know, it just seems like he's been around forever. Really, uh, I'm going to try to look at the scorecards. Yeah, the scorecards. Um, he was actually losing. I think almost by almost every round. So, uh, yeah, Mayuga, a big loss for him there. Hopefully, he decides to hang them up. But I very much doubt it. I think he's in the need of a little bit of cash. And what better way for him? Um, moving over now to Germany and Munich. A couple fights on this bill. Nope, just the one. Christina Hammer, the female world champion. She's now 22-0 and because she extended her winning record with a KO in round four against Gifty Amanua Ankra, who was 7-4 with one draw, now 7-5 with one draw. Um, 
Also, Christina Hammer successfully defends her WBC and WBO world female middleweight titles. So, all the very best to her. Moving over now to the Gasmart Stadium in Tijuana, Mexico. One fight, or two fights actually, on this bill. Luis Neary, the former world champion that got caught for drugs and then, you know, had his belt stripped of him. But then, miraculously, he's back in the ring only three months later since failing the drug test. Nobody quite knows what's going on with that. Certainly very strange. He moved to 25. And oh, he got a win over Arthur Villanueva, who I said before, you know, Villanueva lost in his last fight, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was his last fight, but he lost to Zolani Tete. So, um, you know, it was a bit of a stern test here for Lewis Neary, and he actually found himself on the canvas, Lewis Neary, in round four. So that was a bit of a shock, but ultimately, the TKO came in favour of Neary in the sixth round. So he's 25 and 0. And Arthur Villanueva now 31-3. and three. No disgrace losing the two fights he's lost this year, though. Also on that bill, Jose Zapida, 27-1, moved to 28-1. and one. A TKO in round six for him against Abner Lopez, who was 25-7, now 25-8. Moving over to another part of Mexico, former world champion Johnny Gonzalez. The man's had like 75 fights now. Yeah, 75 fights exactly. He defended his WBC Latino super featherweight title against... Irving Berry, who was 23 and 6, now 23 and 7 with two draws. So Johnny Gonzalez, 65 and 10, his record now. Impressive, impressive, impressive. Moving over now to Monte Carlo, though, this Sky Sports card. Obviously, this one was on Saturday night. I'm going to start with the undercard. Harlem Eubank moved to 3 and 0. Very sketchy, this one. He took on a man called Abubakar Bechelegem, who was um, 12 and 8 with one draw. Now, this fight here, uh, the, you know, the opponent, I'm not going to say his name again, but Eubank's opponent here was actually, um, you know, he landed a good shot. I think it was maybe a right hook on Harlem Eubank, and Harlem Eubank actually touched down. You know, it was a proper knockdown, but it wasn't ruled. And what happened there was it was only a four-rounder, so obviously it would have been a 10-8 round. Let's just say it was in the first round for argument's sake, just to explain this to people that may not know. Um you know, it'd be a 10-8 round, so going into the last three rounds, Harlem Eubank would be two points down, so he'd need to win all three to win it. He actually ended up winning a split decision over four rounds, so obviously no judge actually scored the knockdown, because you can't, because the referee, you know, he didn't rule it as a knockdown. So what basically happened here is, you know, in a nutshell, Harlem Eubank was very, very lucky there to not get a loss. I mean, he's being trained by Adam Booth. He's he, he hasn't really, I think, gelled too much. If you look at the way he fights, he doesn't look like the typical Adam Booth fighter. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. But listen, he's a work in progress. He's only starting out. He's only two and zero. You know, this guy that you thought's had over twenty fights. So, you know, there was a lot of a lot of inexperience on the side of Harlem Eubank, but for me, he should have lost that fight, really, and I think a lot of people echo those sentiments. Um, you know, if that knockdown was counted, he would have lost, so very unfortunate there. I'm sure the journeyman will be kicking himself, but listen, I'm sure he got paid a decent little check. Also on the bill, Scott Quigg, 33-1 and with two draws, took on Oleg Yefimovic, 29-2 and with one draw. Um, Scott Quigg, I mean, you know... Some people knock him. Some people like him. I mean, for me, he's not really got the most fan-friendly style. I don't think um, 
I don't think it was a great fight. What I will say, though, is Yefimovic had never been stopped. And um, to get the stoppage as early as the sixth round was quite impressive. I will say that. So the result was good. But the fight itself, I didn't really think too much of it. Yefimovic, you know, he, he was tough to some degree. But, um, you know, Quigg just had too much for him on the night. Simple as that. Quigg now 34-1 and one with two draws. And Yefimovic 29-3 and three with one draw. He's finally been stopped for the first time. What did you make of that Quigg fight? I has anything to add to that at all? Um, I mean, well done to uh, Quick. He's obviously won the fight on by a stoppage on the six, in the sixth round. Um, he performed very well. His trainer, Freddie Roach, wasn't in the corner because he's training Miguel Cotto for his final fight against Adam Ali. He's mandatory for the winner of the Abner Maras versus Santa Cruz fight. Is that fight really going to happen? Uh, personally, I don't think Santa Cruz or Abner Maras will want to come to UK to fight him. So I reckon that if that fight happens... I reckon um, Quig is going to move to uh, fight in America for that fight. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be too much of a big deal for him. Obviously, he's being, you know, he's based now in America, as you said there, with Freddie Roach. So that'll suit Freddie Roach a little bit better. He'll be able to make the corner for that, and that's a fight that I reckon probably will happen. You know, it's, it's a tough fight. Either either one of those guys is a very very tough fight for Quig. But, you know, he's winning, so that's the most important thing. Um, we actually predicted on that one as well, as I actually went with Quig to win on points, simply because I don't think Quig's the biggest puncher, and this guy had never been stopped. But you went against that, and so did our listeners, so you've both racked up a point there. So congratulations to you, Ayaz, and the listeners for predicting correctly that Quig would get the stoppage. Um... Moving up the bill once again, Ajit Kabayel, 16-0, defended successfully his EBU heavyweight title against Derek Chisora. It was a majority decision over 12 rounds. Boy, oh boy, Derek Chisora now 27-8. His record's just diminishing, um, you know, as time goes on. But, simply, he's, he's just a guy that, you know, just needs one win, I feel, to bounce back into the picture. I think that is a... I think someone said that. I can't remember who, but that is quite an accurate statement he's the kind of guy that you know he'll have one win and then he's right back at it he's he's very much a gatekeeper I think um Derek Chisora but I tell you what Ajit Kabayel I mean he was boxing and moving and I weren't sure he was going to be able to do it for the full 12 rounds but I've got to say um I'm not sure if I said it on last week's show but I actually a little bit of me thought that Caballero might be able to win on points. I, I knew he wouldn't be able to stop Del Boy, but I thought, you know what? He might win this on points. And I actually put a little bet on, and it happened. So I was happy with that. But I didn't predict it on here because Uias went with Chisora to win by knockout, and so did our listeners. So I was a little bit kind of playing it safe and I thought nope Chisora's going to win on points but of course that didn't happen so um, Caballero I should have gone with him instinctively but I didn't but um, yeah back to the fight you know he was boxing and moving he um, he showed some decent feet I mean Del Boy's a little bit slow now but you know he stuck to a game plan he did it he did it very well you know his fighting was was very effective you know he landed a good amount of shots he was mixing it up a little bit some body shots were slowing Dell down over the distance um you know Chisora kind of turned it on in the in the in the last few rounds i think maybe he might have i feel like it maybe he had a little bit left in the tank but he just wasn't really able to empty it or it was it was quite weird it was a bit of a uh, a bit of a strange performance by Dell. He was kind of left um, a little bit wanting, I feel, uh, parts of that fight. You know, just plodding forward and, 
you know, he just wasn't fighting very well, Del Boy. I mean, he just got he just got outworked pretty much. I mean, he didn't land much, but the fight itself was quite boring because you know this guy didn't really want to stand and engage too much. And when he did, it was only for a couple of seconds, and he'd move out. So smart game plan fighting, but not really the most you know the most capturing kind of kind of fight for you know for fans watching on. Um, do you want to add anything to that, Ayers, at all? The Del Boy fight, or should we move uh-huh. on? Well, I'm just going to add one thing to say on this. Well, Delboy, he's lost his fighting now. He's lost to Hellenius. He's lost to Pulev. This fight, if Chizora won, it would have been made the Dillian White fight bigger. Now, with him losing that fight, it decreases the value of the Dillian White fight. For me, I reckon Chizora's been in, around boxing for time now. Is it time for him to pack the gloves? Is the White fight really going to happen? I Personally, I don't think the White fight... I don't think the white fight is value as as big it is as much anymore. So we'll see what happens in the future for the white fight. Do you know what? You've just said that, Ayers, and that's actually just reminded me something, and I was tweeting about this the other day. I actually think, and, and you know, the, the listeners can hear this, this is my theory about this. I think that when they matched Dillian White against Derek Chisora, they were super confident that White would, would beat Chisora easily, and so was I. I didn't think he'd stop him, but I did bet on Dillian White to win by a decision, and it was razor, razor tight when it come down to it. So, I think that they kind of maybe were a little bit shocked at how. I don't want to say that that, that Derek exposed Dillian White, but what I will say is I think they were shocked at how close and competitive the fight was afterwards, and I think that. In order to secure Dillian White a big fight and in order for him to make some big money, he cannot afford to lose to Derek Chisora, who, as I said, is a bit of a gatekeeper. You know, he simply couldn't afford to lose to him. So I didn't actually think that they would want that rematch, especially because he's so highly ranked with the with the WBC, Dillian White. So um, I thought that they'd really try and kind of run away from that. And I actually had a feeling going in, when I looked at this guy's record, no one knows who he is, but he's 16-0 European champion. You looked at his record, and he actually beat some decent-ish guys, you know, and most of them by knockout. So... You know, when I saw that, I thought, Do you know what? He could lose this fight to a no-name, if you like, over here anyway. And that would completely stop people calling for this fight. Because everybody's calling for that fight, and that's exactly what happened. So now, they've kind of got over that chapter without even having a second fight. Dillian White, he didn't look good in his last fight against that guy, um, Robert Hellenius. He looked awful, to be honest. But... He got the win. Chisora got the loss. So now no one wants to see those guys fight because it was such, you know, underperforming in both of the two fights that they had here against their respective opponents that no one wants to see the rematch now. So it's actually worked out good for Dillian White because now, you know, he's going to probably end up getting a shot at Deontay Wilder, especially on the back of how he looked, you know. So I think that he's going to probably get a big name, you know, a big money fight slash a big name fight next, Dillian White. And um, I think the Chisora thing's definitely put to bed now. No one wants to see that. And they can't afford rematching him and possibly losing. They do not need that to happen. Because if that happens, you know, their, their, their careers, well, Dillian White's career, I think, will be in tatters, really. And, uh, you know, Chisora, I mean, who would want to fight him? If you lose to him, your career's in trouble. And if, if you know, if, if you beat him, then, yeah, it looks good. But he's a hard man to beat. He's a hard man to stop. So... Yeah, it's it's a funny one that one, but no, I, I don't think the rematch happens now, and I think that um, 
I think Eddie Hearn, even though he did try and say he wanted that fight, really and truly, you don't want to be putting your man in there against somebody who he could lose to, especially someone who's now got eight losses. So let's have it right. I don't think that they wanted that fight at all. But anyway, moving up the card once again, Dimitri Bivol, 11-0, put his WBA World Light Heavyweight title on the line against Trent Broadhurst. Trent Broadhurst was actually saying... It was ironic he was saying it, but before the fight he was saying that this guy is talking about he's got big power, he's got big power. He hasn't really, you know, knocked anybody out of of note. That's what he said. Well, he knocked him out. And I think that he shocked Trent Broadhurst big time. It was a first round knockout. as It simply was the last punch of the round as well. It was just, um, as what am I talking about? As every knockout would be. But I mean like it was in the last second of the round, wasn't it? Literally just before the bell come in, bang, he was out. And that was it. You know, he just got flattened. The punch didn't really look like it was... Uh, it had too much weight behind it. It was just a straight right, straight down the pipe between the guard, and bang, that was his lights out. And, um, you know, it was really impressive. I think that Bivol would have looked really good on TV there in front of the fans that, you know, that watched it. And I think that he is potentially a big star in the light heavyweight division. But that's another fight there where Bivol um, was picked to knock out his opponent by me and the listeners. But you guys went with Bivol on points. It was couldn't be too much further from uh, from reality there we got the points me and the listeners so congrats to us but what did you make of that fight I has explosive stuff there from Bivol oh what a right hand from him <laughs> that's all I gotta say what a right hand but I, I'll tell you one thing he's a future he's a he's, he's gonna be a very very good fighter in the future yeah I agree totally and now the main event which was it was quite, kind of strange because it was actually the first fight on TV. Jamie McDonald defending his WBA World Bantamweight title against Liborio Solis in the rematch. Jamie McDonald going in with a record of 29-2 and two with one draw. And Liborio Solis 25-5 and five with one draw. Um, firstly, I mean, I actually thought, I've got to be honest, I like Jamie McDonald. I like Dave Caldwell and the team, but... I thought that Jamie McDonald probably lost the first two rounds, maybe. I think I gave one of them a 10-10. Don't hate me too much about that. But one of them, I think it was maybe the first round was quite hard to score. The second round, I thought, was quite clear for Solis. Some people actually don't agree with that. But I think Solis was really pressing the action early. Um, You know, he came with some good tactics. But for me, I think, even though, of course, we all know that there was a head clash and, you know... The cut was so bad that it actually had to be a no decision in the third round. In a way, because of the bad start that Jamie McDonald had, I think that it did him a little bit of a favour. You know, I actually think you know he still gets paid. You know, he didn't he didn't defend it so to speak, but he goes home with the belt, and you know now he you know he's really kind of tested himself for a couple of rounds and thought, you know what. Actually, I need to move up in weight. So that's what he's saying now. He's now going to be moving up in weight, I think. And and obviously, he'll be giving up that belt. So, in a way, he's found out that he cannot be fighting at that weight for, for any longer. And he hasn't had to take a loss to realize that. But I feel very bad for him, of course, because he was out the ring for so long. And, you know, he's he's been killing himself to make the weight. And it was all to, to, to really just kind of prove people wrong, kind of prove people that he is much better than Solis, and, you know, he wanted to beat him clearly this time, it was just really, you know, the competitor in him, he could have moved up ages ago, no one would have had any qualms about it, but he's tried to prove, you know, the the, the critics wrong, and the doubters wrong, and the haters wrong, but, unfortunately, due to a head clash, it was all for nothing, so, you know, he still gets paid, he still goes home with a belt, but, um, 
he won't be happy. But um, I think really and truly, being a fan of his, I do think that the head clash kind of did him a little bit of a favour, in my honest opinion. I think over the course of the rounds, I know he's got a great engine, but you know, killing yourself to make the weight, sometimes you don't really perform in those later rounds. So it was a little bit risky um, after the start he had, in my opinion, was a bit too slow. But um, yeah, credit to Jamie McDonnell. It's good to see him in the ring once again, but it was just a shame it ended in the way it did. Um, moving over from that one, Iaz from Monte Carlo, moving over now to the BT Convention Center in Liverpool, Merseyside. I'm going to try to go through this a little bit quicker. Jack Armfield, 24-2, and two, took on that tough journeyman called Adam Jones, who I've been raving about for ages. Adam Jones now 6-26 and 26 with 5 draws. Did he get stopped? Boy, oh boy. Of course he didn't. He got a points loss, Adam Jones. He never gets stopped. He's never been stopped. Um, he's very rarely looked like he's been in trouble, to be honest. That guy is tough as nails. Moving over now to the Buckhead Fight Club in Georgia, USA. Uh, one fight to mention on this build. Devin Haney, the prospect, moved to 18-0. and 0, A TKO in round 5 of 6 against Hamza Sepuo, who is now 14-9. Uh, moving over now to the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, USA. This is, of course, the uh, the big Deontay Wilder bill. Really good card, this, by the way. Um, I'm going to start with a fight that wasn't televised. Lemroy Thomas, the former foe of Dave Allen. Is the rematch going to be happening on the Bellu undercard? Nobody seems to know. Um... It was supposed to happen on the Joshua undercard, and he went missing, and I've heard the conspiracy theories behind that. Um, Anyways, Lemroy Thomas, what can we say about this? I mean, I didn't see the fight, but from what I've seen, it was a super, super close fight. I think he only literally scraped it by like a point against a guy who had a record of... 12-2, 12-2, and two. so a similar kind of record of Dave Allen, but obviously Dave Allen's took on the likes of Dillian White, the likes of Lewis Ortiz, so um, yeah, Lemroy Thomas, you know, that's not a really good win there for him, he's now 22-4, and four, and his opponent Ed Fountain is 12-3. and three. Uh, moving up the bill, Shawnee Monaghan, he come back after being knocked out and he picked up a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Everett Bravo. Everett Bravo now 23-7 and seven with one draw. Shawnee Monaghan 29-1 and one inside 30 fights. Uh, also on this bill, Amanda Serrano 33-1 and one with one draw. Um, former world champion, of course. She took on Marilyn Hernandez 26-10 and 10, and Hernandez was down three times in the first round. So a brutal first round knockout there for for Amanda Serrano, credit to her. Also on the bill, fighting for one of Terence Crawford's vacated world titles, the IBF World Super Lightweight title was on the line. Sergei Lipinets, 12-0, took on Akihiro Kondo, 29-6 with one draw. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds for Sergei Lipinets. wasn't really the most impressive fight. It was a little bit boring. I was finding it hard to really you know, pay, pay too much attention to it. I was kind of on my phone a lot, really. Um, also on that bill, we didn't get to see it unfortunately, but both men have been on the show in the past couple of weeks. Dominic Brazil, eighteen and one, took on Eric Molina, twenty-six and four. Molina was down in round eight, and then his corner pulled him out after the eighth round. So it was a retirement in his corner, so he didn't want to come out for round nine. Eric Molina didn't really look like he was complaining too much. The knockdown wasn't even heavy, so I'm not quite sure what went on there. Um, Eric Molina came in actually, you know, weighing less than Dominic Brazil. I suppose that's expected being the shorter guy, but no, um, you know, Eric Molina gets stopped there. 
which is a bit of a shame. I do like Eric Molina, but Dominic Brazil now 19 and 1. Eric Molina now 26 and 5. Also on the bill, we got to see this fight. Sean Porter fighting for the vacant WBC Silver Welterweight title against Adrian Granados. Granados 18 and 5 with two draws, better than his record suggests. And Sean Porter 27 and 2 with one draw. Um, you know, Sean Porter does what he does. I actually like to see him fight. I know some people are quite critical of him. I think he's an all action fighter. He kind of neglects his boxing skills most of the time swarms people I call him I think I, I think my nickname for him is the little pit bull because he's just that's the way he fights he just puts his head down and swings he's you know he's, he's quite reckless he's quite crude what I will say about this fight is he actually was boxing more than I've seen him box for quite a while he was actually showing off some of his boxing skills Granados is tough as old boots isn't he you know I respect him big time um, I really do like Granados but after the fight Granados was complaining saying that he clearly won the fight and I really found it hard to give him more than three rounds I think so that was quite comical in all honesty I think that Sean Porter won quite clearly his record now 28 and 2 with one draw and Granados now 18 and 6 with two draws not looking too good for him and of course the main event on this bill Deontay Wilder 38 and 0 in the rematch against Bermain Stavern 25 and 2 with one draw of course these two guys fought for the belt um, a couple of years back and since Deontay Wilder beat him over 12 rounds unanimously and showed for the first time, his actual boxing skills and his good jab, Deontay Wilder, in the first fight, they were having the rematch, and Deontay Wilder was, you know, a man on a mission, trying to get the knockout, just to be able to say that everybody I've shared a ring with, I've knocked out. It didn't matter that he had to fight Stavern in two different fights to get the knockout, but boy, oh boy, he got the knockout, and it was brutal. Of course, the WBC World Heavyweight title was on the line. Stavern was down three times. The first knockdown was pretty strange, because when you actually look at the clock, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was about 40 seconds left in the first round. So it's ticking down, 40, 39, anyway, bang. He hits Stavern with a shot that didn't really look like too much. I mean, you know, it got through the guard, but he's got that kind of freakish power, Deontay Wilder. And just before he landed it, he actually punched himself in the chest twice. So a little bit of swagger there. Um, he did that, landed a good shot. I think it was set up by a jab, followed by a right hook. And, he, you know, he put him down. And then Stavern bounced straight back up. And again, there was something like about 25 seconds left in the round now. And I'm thinking, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Then he goes down again. Pretty much, I think maybe with the first, the first one or two punches, it was a, you know, again the punch didn't look too good. It wasn't a great punch, but you know he put him down with it, and then he gets back up, and literally there was about eight or nine seconds left in the round, and he just completely swarms him. Um, Deontay Wilder landed the best punch he actually landed was a left uppercut. No one really talked about that, but the the left uppercut that he landed when Stavern was on the ropes was the real punch that caused the damage. It was right through, right underneath the middle of the guard, you know. He kind of dipped his knees and kind of threw it really well, you know, like... Um, really come underneath the, the, the guard and come up with it, push through his feet, bang, straight on the chin, and then I think it was followed maybe by an overhand right. So a little bit clever stuff there from Deontay Wilder. You don't really see him using his shot selection too cleverly. Um, Ayers, it was a quick fight. I don't want to spend too long talking about it either because, uh, you know, it was over so quickly. What did you make of Deontay Wilder's performance? Obviously, you know, it shocked a lot of people. we got to, we got to say, even though Stavern wasn't in the best shape, we've got to give him a lot of credit for a first-round knockout on Stavern. That is quite something. Um, yeah, what can I say? Um, well done to uh, Deontay Wilder for the first round knockout. Stavern hasn't fought for two years, okay? He came in out of shape. Now, if you look at the fight two years ago, that was a different Stavern. 
Stavern was in shape. He was active. He was training. This Stavern looked like he didn't even. He, he, it's like he was called in yesterday. Oh yeah, you got a fight the next day. It wasn't like. It's like that. But credit to Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder came in light in the weigh-in. Now this is the thing. Deontay Wilder knocked him out first. The thing is, with Wilder, yes, he's got a big punch in him, but he swings so much now. If you're gonna swing against Anthony, uh, he with him, it's like if he swings against Anthony Joshua, and just say for example, Anthony Joshua ducks it, Anthony Joshua's gonna hit him with the right hand, and knock him out, stop him. There are big fights out there for him. What makes me laugh, really, Ayaz, is that I've been saying it for the longest time, probably more than any other person's been saying it. I've been saying that the Wilder versus Joshua fight, or Joshua Wilder, which it would actually be called, will be or was a 50-50 fight. I even said it, I think, on last week's show. And then I said, in fact, maybe it's a bit of a 60-40 to Joshua, but it's definitely a very, very hard fight to call. The reason being, both men's got power, and, um, you know, both men can knock the other guy out, but they've both been knocking out complete journeymen, complete bums, not real fighters, and stuff like that. Then Joshua fought Klitschko, and I said, okay, I've got to give him a bit of credit here, even though Klitschko's definitely seen way better days, and all the things that were, you know, stacked against him, in that fight, traveling, coming off a loss, coming off a layoff, being older, all those things, not being a champion, being being um, an underdog and all that stuff that was against Klitschko. It was a good win. And also, of course, the way that, um, you know, the way that Deontay Wilder, uh, sorry, not Deontay Wilder, the way that Joshua stopped Molina, that was quite impressive. He beat Charles Martin, you know, he's the only man to beat him. That was quite impressive. The Dominic Brazil fight was a really good one. Um, you know, we, we we got to see him really take uh, take care of Dominic Brazil in good fashion. Nobody's done that. So um, those things there, are, you know, the best two people that, that Anthony Joshua's fought is Dominic Brazil and Vladimir Klitschko. And of course, Deontay Wilder's just been knocking over bums. He fought Stavern. He went the distance with him. That was like, you know, his, his best opponent. Now he's fought Stavern again. And I think that's his best opponent, isn't it, really? Stavern. Is, would you say that's his best opponent? I think it is. Yes, I would. Yeah, so there you go. So for me, I always said it was going to be a close fight. And now, Joshua didn't look too good the other week. And then seven days later, Deontay Wilder's in the ring. He looks really good against Fats Stavern. And now people are going, whoa, that's a 50-50 fight. And I've been saying it for ages. I mean, I've been saying it. But I actually would favor Joshua. I think you have to. But people were, you know, I've been debating on Twitter the last kind of few days. And people from America, including boxers, I've been arguing with loads of people. They're saying like, no, Deontay Wilder's the number one guy. If he hits you, you're gone. And I'm like, okay, well... Joshua is the man with the 100% knockout ratio. Deontay Wilder doesn't have that. And one boxer, I'm not going to name him because I like him, but he said, well, we saw Joshua get put down. Deontay Wilder hasn't been put down. And I was saying that being put down doesn't mean anything, but if you actually look down on Deontay Wilder's record, he was put down, people forget, he was put down by a guy who had 17 wins and 20 losses. Okay, so he was put down by him. And the guy wasn't even a puncher. So, that says it all. If you're talking about knockdowns, that says it all. This is the way I see it. I actually think that, boxing-wise, Joshua's definitely better than Wilder. Definitely more rounded and all those things there. Strength, he's definitely stronger than, than Wilder. I think he could perhaps push Wilder back. The only thing about Wilder, I think he is the more... Possibly the more athletic, possibly, I, I, I would even say he's probably maybe got better feet 
He's, I don't think either of, them, either of them's got great feet. But I definitely think Wilder's got more power. But it doesn't matter because Joshua's got enough power to knock you out anyway. So it's like the comparison I kind of see. It's like Joshua's got a pistol and Deontay Wilder's got a shotgun. But either of them can shoot and put the other man out. So it doesn't really matter who hits harder because they both knock people out with, with any shot that they throw. So it doesn't matter who's got the edge on power, really. You know, it just matters who lands and who, you know, who can who can get in position to land the shot because there's no way that fight goes the distance. But yeah, Deontay Wilder's knockout ratio is 97%. Joshua's is 100. And of course, you know, Deontay Wilder's fought like 18 or 19 more 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 people or more fights than Joshua has but if if Joshua took on the 19 people that that um you know that he fought he would he would completely obliterate them as well the only common opponent i think they've both fought is um Eric Molina and we saw Eric Molina wobbled Deontay Wilder hurt him a few times in that fight and you know Joshua completely just kept him on the ropes for three rounds pounding at him and it was a pathetic performance that night from Eric Molina I think he'd be the first to admit that well he did he said it was I mean he he had a few reasons why last week when we spoke to him but you know it was what it was anyways going back on that fight just quickly I forgot to say the Eric Molina and Brazil fight um, the listeners and you guys both went with Brazil to win by points I went with Brazil by knockout so of course it was a retirement which goes down as a stoppage so I picked up a point there a much needed point there as well and the Wilder fight everybody went with Wilder by knockout so me you and the listeners so we all get a point there so the scores at the moment are me on 11 I've caught you up as you're also on 11 but in the lead the listeners with 12 so it really is hotting up we really need to pull some points back but that's really it for the Barclays Centre moving over now to the final card to mention from last week we're going to talk about this one um, in the Silver Gun Arena the son of former heavyweight world champion Hassim Rackman Hassim Rackman Jr I told a story on last week's show about his opponent actually running out the venue well he finally got a man to fight him the guy's name was James Jones he was 4 and 11 of course Hassan Rackman Jr only 2 and 0 and he made light work of him he got him out in the first round via TKO if I'm not mistaken that's three first round knockouts now for Hassan Rackman Jr really exciting young prospect so we will look out for him of course but just before we wrap up part 1 of course there's one last thing to do and that is to welcome guest number 1 Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the super middleweight contender. It's the mama's boy, Mr. Dennis Duglin. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, Dennis, obviously the British fight fans know who you are. Most of us know you best for fighting George Groves back in 2014. But I want to rewind a little bit. Obviously, your nickname, the Mama's Boys, because your mother is your trainer. How did that first come around? Most mothers hate their sons being in boxing, usually. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it started um, when I was about eight years old. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I was um, eight years old. I got into a street fight. I didn't do too well, and she called me a punk. And, and at oh, the wow. time, she was boxing. So so she made me come to the gym with her and start training. So she wasn't my original trainer at first. I had another guy that was working with me. And then when I came home, she would work with me in the house on, on stuff that she thought I did wrong in the gym. And it kept getting, I'm growing from there. And by the time I got around 13, it was kind of known that she was helping me a little bit. And I was a mama's boy because I was with my mother in the gym. So everyone started calling me mama's boy as a joke. And um, I went to a regional tournament in the amateurs, and I put Mama's Boy on my shorts as a joke. And um, she wasn't even in my corner for the fight, but um, I put Mama's Boy on my shorts. 
and I won the tournament, and everybody was like, oh, that mama's boy can't fight, and then it just became like a name, and then she took over training me, and it just went from there. <laughs> so I've got to ask you this now. Have you ever sparred your mum? Yes, we used to spar all the time. Did she used to beat you up? She used to beat when, yeah, she used to beat me up bad when I was little, up until I was about 14. Then I started playing hands on her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's excellent, man. That's excellent. So, obviously, your record at the moment, Dennis, it stands at 20 wins and 5 losses. You've shared the ring with the likes of George Groves, as we mentioned, Jamel Charlo, Steven Martinez, David Benavidez. Who would you say is the best fighter out of all those guys there? Um, I would go with Jamel Charlo. I would say he's probably the best fighter I've fought so far. Yeah, and I remember when you fought him, it was a few years ago now. He's actually excelled. He's become even better than he was then. He's uh, Yeah, real... I, I agree. Um, I didn't think he was a big puncher like that. When I thought, I mean, granted, he stopped me, and it was with a straight right hand that I ran into. But I was hit with a couple of shots before that. Again, a lot of those fights, the, the names you mentioned, I wasn't in good shape for those fights. I took the fights in short notice and stuff like that. So um, when I got hit with him, by him in the first round, I, was, I didn't think he was such a, a big puncher. But... um. He does. He had popped back then, and now he's punching even harder. I think so. I think he's he's probably the better, the best fighter I fought so far. Yeah, he's a, he's a real name on the world scene now. Him and his twin brother. Um, I want to ask yeah. you about your last fight. Obviously, you took on David Benavidez. He's been on this show a couple months ago, just before he won the world title. Now that fight from now was fifteen months ago. Why has there been such a long layoff, Dennis? Um, it's just. How the boxing game goes, man. I'm like I said, I'm Alman Heyman is my mentor, and um, he's he's a busy man. I mean, there's a lot of fighters, there's a lot of fighters over here. So it's pretty much if you see, I mean, even if you're winning, you're only fighting like twice a year, three times a year max. So if you lose, you put yourself in that position where they make you sit down. It's unfortunate. So I just gotta make sure I don't lose anymore because I see, you know, I know how the game goes. If you lose, they move on to the next big thing, next better thing. Yeah, because I thought you might say something like you've you've been nursing an injury, but you've been completely fine. No, no, I've been I've been training. People don't even notice. Right after right after my day of Benavidez fight, I went immediately. Maybe like three weeks later, I went to um Canada, and was training with David Lemieux, hoping him get ready for a southpaw. And then I've been I've been training nonstop from that time, hoping because I had a, a couple of fights come in and fall through. So I've been hoping and training, waiting for a fight. It has it's not, nothing to do with me at all. Just with the politics of boxing. Okay, I see, I see. So you're back in camp now, obviously, for your fight against Anthony Durrell on November 17th in his hometown of Flint, Michigan. Firstly, how well do you rate Anthony Durrell as a fighter, Dennis? Uh, On a scale of 1 to 10, I'll put Anthony at like a 7. He's a 7. Do you know much about him as a fighter? I don't. I mean, I watched him fight out of the... Um, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a former world champion, so... As much as I say he's a seven, you can't take anything away from someone who's who's made it to the top of the sport in their division. So he's a former world champion, um, super tough, super competitive guy. Um, I know he's coming to win. He's in his hometown. I know he's super excited to fight back in Flint. So I'm not underestimating him at all. I don't, I'm not taking the fight lightly. I don't think, oh, he's going to be a, a walkover. He's going to be just as tough as the David Benavidez and the Charlos and the George Rose. I know, so I know that this fight is a big fight for me. But um, I totally, I truly think me being in the shape that I'm in right now, and being able to get this fight with a full camp notice, I I, I don't see myself losing. To be honest with you. 
And I remember when Andre Durrell took on James DeGale. I remember that the Durrell brothers, they, they had some guy in their camp who came to all like the media things like the, you know, the public workouts and the press conferences. And they've got a guy in their camp who they pay, who's part of their entourage, who just makes these dog noises all the time. I don't know if you know about that, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll see <laughs> at the press conference. He just goes like, oh, and all these weird things. So watch out for that one. Don't let him surprise you with that. <laughs> Um, what I will say, I can uh, I, I can see looking at looking at Anthony's record. Um, I'd imagine he's been sparring some southpaws because he hasn't actually fought a southpaw for coming up six years now. And and that fight against whatever southpaw it was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But the fight only went four rounds. It was stopped due to an injury, a uh, shoulder injury, uh, on his opponent. So that's good news for you. He hasn't fought a southpaw for that long. So perhaps if you uh you know if you can unsettle him early, this, this you know that'd be a great thing for you. Yeah, definitely. Um. I don't really think, even if he was he has um, experience with Southpaws, that would be an issue because, like I said, I, I really think he's not to say anything negative towards him, but I think he's really basic. Um, he's a he's a come forward or a sit back kind of guy. He doesn't use his feet too much. Um, he he likes to fight. He's a warrior, so I definitely I'm looking for an in shape Anthony Durrell, but I'm not expecting any type of fancy footwork or some adjustments that he's made because I'm left-handed. He's he's pretty much up and down, in my opinion. But I will be I will be prepared for whatever he does. If he wants to box and run around the ring, I've had that in this camp. If he wants to stand there and fight me, I've had that in my camp. Um, so whatever he brings to the table, we're prepared for it. And of course, this fight's going to be shown on Fox in the USA. Uh, it's going to be the main event. Are you looking forward to being back on a big stage like this? I bet you've missed it. Um, of course, yes. I feel like that's where I deserve to be. Um, not not record wise, but I deserve to be that. Just knowing my skill set and my personality and presence I, I need to be on the main stage so now I just gotta win and show the world that that's where I belong but I'm 100% a main event kind of fighter so I'm happy to be back where I belong and I want to ask you what are you making of this super middleweight world boxing super series tournament have you been paying attention to that yeah I'm actually super interested in that I think it's great so far um I was in camp with Jamie Cox not not sparring with him but me and, and Jamie Cox were um both in Canelo's camp for when he fought James Kirkland so I, I had a good relationship with Jamie Cox. So I was surprised to see George Groves take him out the way he did. And I'm really interested in the Chris Eubanks-George Groves matchup because I think um, Chris Eubanks is a better fighter, but the weight at 168, that might be a problem. So I'm excited to see what happens in January. Yeah, that will be a good one. Talking about that Groves Cox fight, I was at that the other week. It was, uh, yeah, it was very surprising. You know, it was a brutal body shot that uh, that George Groves delivered that night. Um, I want to ask you. Obviously, you know, there's there's a few a few fights left in it. We're not quite sure who's going to end up in the final. But who do you see winning that whole tournament at super middleweight? In my opinion, um, the winner of Chris Eubanks George Groves wins the entire tournament. I think this this fight for me. I mean, not not writing off any other fighters. But in my opinion, this fight is the finals. Whoever wins this fight, in my opinion, if they take it very seriously, they're going to win the whole thing. So you believe that the winner of that fight should beat the winner of Callum Smith and, and Jurgen Bremer, yeah? Oh, you know what? I totally forgot Callum Smith was in it. You know what? Let me take that back because Callum Smith <laughs> is really good. So <laughs> so you know what? Let me um, take that back. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in seeing... Either one of those guys match up against Colonel Smith. I don't I can't call it. I've only seen Colonel Smith fight two times, so it's not enough for me to really have a big opinion of him. I've been in the ring with Chris Eubanks a couple of times and I fought George Grove, so I know them fairly well. But from what I've seen of Colonel Smith, he looks really good, so 
it should be a good. I think he's obviously going to be in the finals, and then the winner of George Groves and Eubanks. I should be a good matchup. Who do you see winning that one between Groves and Eubank? By the way, if he makes weight the right way and he's strong and he's as good as he was and as strong as he was at one sixty, I'm going to lean towards Chris Eubanks. But um, it's similar to what George Groves said about Jamie Cox. This is in your weight class, so you might not be able to handle that power and him leaning on you and stuff like that. So. Because I thought Jamie Cox could beat George Groves, but you saw he couldn't take – that was a great body shot that was landed. It could be the sim- a similar situation. But I'm going to lean towards Chris Eubanks. Yeah, I think a lot of people are saying that. should be interesting anyway. I want to ask you also, um, Dennis, I wanted to ask you maybe some of the big names that you've sparred. Um, I know that there was um, a little bit of, of, of American interest in this tournament. We had Rob Brandt in there. We didn't really know too much about him. Have you shared the, the ring with him or any other big names at all? No, um, Rob Brandt, no, I haven't. As far as how I shared the ring with super middleweights, is that the question? Yeah, like uh, maybe the Jesse Hearts of this world. Me and Jesse Hart actually fought in the amateurs. I mean, we haven't sparred since then, but we fought before in the amateurs. And then I've been in the ring with, um, I helped Badu get ready for his fight before he moved up. So Badu was another guy, big name as far as super weight. Who else out here would be a, a considered a, a big name? I think that would probably be it as far as big super middleweights out sparred. Okay, no, it's, it's fair enough, it's fair enough. Um... Okay, um, moving on to another question now. I wasn't actually going to ask you this, but now that you said that you was uh, you, you was in Canada with David Lemieux, I want to ask you, how do you see his upcoming fight, of course, for the world title against Britain's very own Billy Joe Saunders? It's a really good really good matchup. It seems like 2017 has just been a perfect year for boxing. No, I agree 100%. Um, I think that's a great fight. I'm leaning to, again, I'm not too, too familiar with Billy Joe, but I'm going to lean towards David Lemieux because I've been to camp him. I've watched his work ethic. I love it. His trainer is a great trainer. Um, I think that they have the right mentality going into this fight. I'm leaning towards David Lemieux for this. I like I like his power. I like the way he trains. I like the adjustments he makes. Everything. Yeah, it should be a good fight. Like I say, he's got that one-punch knockout power. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, he obviously. does. Billy Joe Saunders, obviously the only the only man to, to to beat Chris Eubank Jr. so far as well. So he's a, he's a really good technical boxer. Um, who who would you say is the best super middleweight right now in the world? Most people would say it's probably out of Gilberto Ramirez and James DeGal. Um, who do you see being the best guy? I would say Dennis Mama's boy Douglas, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then after him, I will put yeah. I think Gilberto Gilbert really impressed me. With his fight against Jesse Hart, um, I wasn't expecting him to to be so tenacious. So I think he he's really good. And then I would say James Gale as well. James Gale is looking really good. Um, although he did lose, in my opinion, to Badu Jack, he lost that fight. But um, he he's a great super middleweight. So I think middleweight, super middleweight, and middleweight is a really stacked division. So you're gonna see some top guys all over. Yeah, two great divisions. And so coming me, down, me beating sorry, me beating me beating Anthony Durrell puts me finally back in that position where I can I can fight these guys. And that's, that's what I want to do. I want to fight the best in my division. I don't want to be the kind of guy that gets a, a title that's vacant or that I want to be the champion and become a world champion. I want to fight the tough guys, top guys. I have this, the belief in myself that I'm one of the best in the weight class, but obviously the world doesn't know that. So to them, I probably sound crazy. But I just want to put, on, put my skills on display next week and show that I'm I'm up there with all these guys. See, it's a mad situation because obviously the WBC, um, you know, when 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 the the, the 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 title was vacant and it was supposed to be 
up for grabs between Callum Smith and Anthony Durrell. Everybody pulled out, everybody was injured, and you know, in the end, obviously David Benavidez, I think he was ranked like number seven. He ended up taking on Gavril, who was ranked like maybe number 11 or something like that. And obviously, if you'd been more mm. active, you'd have probably been in that top 15. You'd have probably got the call, you know? I agree 100%. It's just all about inactivity. But, um, and I, I think honestly, the Callum Smith and Anthony Durrell thing, I think it had a lot to do with Anthony Durrell not. I think him being afraid, to be honest with you, because he pulled out of a fight with Cullum Smith and um, David Navidez. But he picked the fight with me because, in his eyes, I'm the easier fight. So I think that's what that was about. Yeah, it's up to you to prove him wrong, of course. Coming down to the final couple of questions now, Dennis, I, I like to ask this question to all uh, all the boxers that we speak to from overseas. It's a little bit of a question where I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Who would you say okay. is your favorite UK fighter from any era? It can be somebody who's retired years ago or still active, any era. My favorite UK fighter from any era. I'm going to go with American, honestly, which is probably not... Uh, popular oh, answer, but I yeah. love American. <laughs> I love American style, his mouth, um, his hands, his size. He doesn't have the best chin, but skill-wise, I think American is great. I, I like watching him fight, so I'm going to go with American. Yeah, I think we, we've probably had that a couple of times. I mean, it's probably not one of the most popular ones. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, a lot of people over here, that he's kind of like... People love him or people hate him a little bit over here. It's a shame. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, cool. He's, he's, got, he's that. got he's got like the biggest set of balls in boxing. You know, <laughs> he really does. Yeah, definitely. But I like that. I like that too. And I'm realizing that um, a lot of UK fighters are like that because the fact that he moved up to fight Canelo and the fact that um, what's the other guy's name that moved up to fight Triple G? Um, uh, the guys over there. Carol Brooks, exactly. Like they got some balls on them. I, I, you gotta respect that in the sport that we're in. Everyone's too friendly. Everybody wants to be friends, but over in UK, man, you got they're fighting. So I, I take my hat off to those guys. And I just want to give you an opportunity, really, to to send out a message to your UK fans. I know that obviously you've got a you know you've got a little fan base over here from when you fought George Groves. I'm sure that you've got British fight fans keeping up with you. What's your message to those guys, Dennis? I just want to say thank you to those guys. Um, they still hit me up on Twitter and Facebook, and actually when I'm fighting again or when I'm coming back over there, and I really appreciate it. Um, I don't think my performance against George Groves was my best performance, but um, I appreciate that a lot of fight fans saw the potential inside me and and continue to follow me and support me. So just thank you guys and look out for me. I'm um, fighting next Friday, and after I win this fight, hopefully I'm back over there sometime to fight some somebody. Yeah, we've got a lot of names. We've got a lot of names in this division, so I'm sure there can be uh, many a lot fights. Of big names. Yeah, many fights can be made, hopefully, down the line. And just before we let you go, please give us your uh, your social media handles. Where can people follow you on Twitter and Instagram if they're not already following? If you're not following me already, um, the Twitter and Instagram handle is the same thing as the Mama's Boy. It's a D-A-M-O-M-M-A-S-B-O-Y. So follow me out on that. And on Facebook, it's just Dennis Douglas. Excellent. So everybody head over to social media and get following. Okay, listen, Dennis, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you this week. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for November the 17th, and we'll catch up sometime afterwards, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But as always, we go over to Ayaz before we get into the preview and with the latest news, Ayaz. There's only one news to, uh, for this week, and that is that Alexander Povetkin will return to the ring and fight Christian Hammer. Um, on the 15th of December. 
Yeah, I think this is a final eliminator, if I'm not mistaken. I think the winner will be mandatory in some in one of the the sanctioning bodies for 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 Joshua's title title. I think. Um, yeah, I think the winner will face will be in mandatory position to fight Joshua, if I'm not mistaken. Is there a belt on the line for that, Ayaz? So he'll be defending the WBO International Heavyweight title. Okay, so he's moving up the WBO rankings, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's, it's a decent fight, I suppose. Um, you know, Povetkin, as long as he's he's clean, I want him in the sport. I think Povetkin, um, you know, you know, skill-wise and stuff like that, he's a good fighter, you know what I mean? He was Olympic gold medalist, he's been a good pro. The only loss coming to Klitschko, he didn't look great that night. You know, Klitschko kind of kept him behind the jab and was very clever that night. It was a very um, impressive version of Klitschko that night actually you wonder what would happen if Joshua was in against that version of Klitschko um no I mean you know I'd like to see him back in the ring I mean when you actually look at the the current heavyweight division the guys in the rankings I mean who do you really want Joshua to fight if he's not unifying against Parker and he's not unifying against Deontay Wilder when you really look at it for me the two guys that I'd probably like to see him fight is either Pulev or Povetkin. Those guys, I think, offer the biggest test against him at the moment. So, um, yeah, hopefully we see Povetkin win that fight, and uh, which I think he will. I think Christian Hammer's not... I mean, he's good. He's, he's, he's good. Like, I remember Tyson Fury beating him up properly, but he's actually a decent fighter, but... I don't think he's he's too great against the big, tall guys in the division, Hammer, but he won't have this problem with Povetkin. So, should be decent. Hopefully, it's a good fight. Hopefully, Povetkin's clean. And hopefully, he will fight Joshua sometime next year. So, um, yeah, exciting stuff, I suppose, for December 15th. It's going to be a good December, actually. Not just Christmas, but, um, uh, you know, Father Christmas is delivering in the boxing world as well. That's it for the news, Ayazia. Yep, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. Moving over now to a fight happening this weekend at the Royal Highland Centre in Edinburgh, Scotland, United Kingdom. This one, of course, going to be live on Channel 5. It is a Cyclones promotion card. Um, what's on the undercard? Let's have a little look here. Chantelle Cameron, 3-0, fights for the vacant IBO Intercontinental female lightweight title against Edith Ramos, who's 6-1 and one with one draw. That's a 10 two-minute round contest. Also on that bill, really and truly, the main event. In fact, I'm going to give a little shout-out here to the, the co-main event, or the chief support. Jason Easton, 10-0, takes on Joseph Zaradnik, who's 9-0. That one's for the IBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title also. Um, yeah, so Jason Easton being the champion, but that's you know that's good there to see two unbeaten fighters on that bill. McGregor's also on this bill as well. It's not Conor McGregor. It's a man called Lee McGregor making his debut in a four-rounder. And the main event, Josh Taylor 10-0 puts his WBC Silver... Um, super lightweight title on the line against former world champion Miguel Vasquez. Miguel Vasquez, 39-5. and five. What I will say about this, I'm going to give you a couple of strange facts about Vasquez. Now, I, I did say these when the fight got, got made, but I'd like to just remind our listeners. So, if we talk about Vasquez here, he fought Canelo in his debut, yeah? And he lost a split decision, so it was really, really close. And then he went on an 18-fight win streak before running into Tim Bradley. Tim Bradley served him up a loss there unanimously. After that, he put together three wins back-to-back before rematching Canelo. And on the undercard when he took on Canelo, three of Canelo's brothers made their debuts and all of them lost. 
but Canelo beat Vasquez convincingly that time in the rematch by a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Now, after that, Vasquez put together 13 wins in a row, including becoming the first man to beat Breedis Prescott. That was the guy that knocked out Amir Khan once upon a time. He also was the first man to beat Leonardo Zapovigna, Masito Gesta, and Denis Shafakov, who's still a good fighter now, Denis Shafakov. And inside those 13 wins, the win streak that he had, he also won the IBF lightweight title and successfully defended it six times before losing to Mickey Bay on a split decision. A Mayweather show, that one. I remember that. Mickey Bay, of course, was with Mayweather at the time. And since then, He's had six fights, winning five and losing one to Argenis Mendez. So this is a catastrophic step up in class here for Josh Taylor. Um, we've asked our listeners for their prediction on this one. And our listeners have gone with Josh Taylor to be the victor, which I feel that he will win the fight as well. But they've gone with him to win by knockout. 52% going with Taylor by knockout, closely followed by 41% Taylor on points. Nobody's gone with Vasquez to win by knockout, but some people went with Vasquez to win on points as well. How do you see that one unfolding, Ayaz? Former world champion uh, Miguel Vasquez and, of course, Josh Taylor. Um, This is a very tough fight for Josh Taylor, but it's a good, very good step up as well. Now, I'll tell you one thing. Josh Taylor is a talented, talented fighter. Obviously, Carl Frampton was in his camp before. He's had um, Conrad Cummings. He's still got she- he's, he's training with Shane McGuinn. He's still got uh, George Grove in his camp. Jo- jo- let me tell you one thing. Josh Taylor, if you look at him fight, he's obviously he's been in the amateurs for a very long time. So he's got the amateur pedig- a lot of amateur pedigree. The, f- the previous fight he fought, he fought O'Hara Davis, not O'Hara Davis out. And I'll tell you one thing now, yeah. I reckon uh, for me, it's gonna be a, I reckon it'll be a tough fight. But I reckon Josh jo- Josh Taylor's gonna nick it on points. And I reckon he's gonna. I reckon he's gonna fight for a world title shot by by the uh, within 2018. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm hoping that um, you know if he comes through this fight, which is no given as we both are aware of. But um, I'd like to see hopefully um, McGuigan and, and the team kind of get somebody over here. Um, you know, for, for for maybe a vacant world title. Depends what happens because as we said, Terence Crawford vacating all the titles. You know, he's he's really opened up the you know the division and and Josh Taylor's really highly ranked with the WBC. So yeah, it may come in in you know in, in the new year for him. Hopefully, hopefully on on British soil at least. Anyways, um, the fight itself, I think Josh Taylor will probably win on points, but. It's, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, this guy's a good fighter. I don't think he's been stopped either without looking at his record. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's he's a good fighter. Like I say, he shared the ring with Canelo twice and gone points twice. Shared the ring with Tim Bradley. Not a big puncher, really. Um, you know, went the distance with him. But, no, he's... Um, He's good. He's 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 crafty. He's 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 a veteran. He's you know he's a tricky guy. I've seen him fight a few times, but I mean he's a little. I wouldn't even say he's. I wouldn't say he's too long in the tooth, but he's been around for quite a while. And I don't know. I think maybe he slipped just a tiny bit. But this is a big, big step up. It's a great, great fight. You know, when you actually look at who O'Hara Davies may be fighting next, they're talking about Tommy Coyle. Well, I actually like Tommy Coyle. I think that that that's quite a fun fight, Tommy Coyle and O'Hara Davies. But you know, Tommy Coyle, you compare you compare him to Miguel Vasquez, it's just leagues apart. So I like what they're doing with uh, Josh Taylor here, and it's it's going to be a good fight, so I'm definitely going to be tuning into that one. Moving over now to the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle. Um, what have we got over here? It's the big one. It's, it's, it's actually billed as 
No ifs, no buts. Of course, that's a bit of a pun from the first fight they had when the fight was ended, Liam Williams and Liam Smith, and it was ended, of course, with a little bit of a... Well, it was ended on a cut that was caused by what some people believe was a headbutt. Some people say it was a punch. Depends who you ask. Let's talk about the undercard firstly, though. Mark Heffron, 17-0, and 0, takes on Lewis Taylor, 19-4 and 4, with one draw. That's a big step up there for Heffron. I'm looking forward to that. That's an eight-rounder. Also on the bill, Nathan Gorman, 10-0, and 0, fights for the vacant WBC International Silver Heavyweight title against Mohamed Saltby, who's 13-0. and 0. Um, Nathan Gorman was supposed to be taking on the unbeaten Nick. Webb when I was really looking forward to that fight actually I really like Nick Webb but um, Mohamed Solby stepped in so I'm not quite sure what's going on there but it was supposed to be for the English title but this title came up the opportunity was there and the fight's there now for Gorman but hopefully Gorman gets the win also on the bill Josh Lever fights for the IBF East and West Europe super lightweight title against Glenn Foote 21 and 2 Josh Lever 12 and oh that's a good fight as well there's some good kind of I don't want to say trade fights because I think that's a little bit disrespectful but there's some good fights on the undercard, you know. Some of the guys that aren't really the household names, but there's some good fights on there. Some good crossroad fights. Also on the bill, Thomas Patrick Wall, 21 and 0 fights. Sean Davis, 13 and 1. This is a defense of Ward's British Super Bantamweight title. That should be quite a good one as well. And the main event, of course, Liam Smith, 25 and 1 with one draw fights. Liam Williams, 16 and 1 with one draw. Um... Firstly, the first time that these guys thought it was a really, really good fight until the headbutt came in and it you know, it all kind of went a bit pear-shaped towards the end of it. You know, nobody was satisfied with a win, even including the Smith brothers and, and the Smith team because um, they didn't want to win that way. But, you know, they got the win. And the first time around, it was for the interim WBO 154 world title now of course Liam Smith didn't make the weight the first time round so when he won the fight the title was still vacant this time round unfortunately there's no belt on the line so it took a little bit of flavour out of the fight but fortunately this fight doesn't really need no added flavour it was a great fight first time round I'm sure it will be pretty much the same thing second time round how do you see this fight playing out by the way Ayers Liam Smith versus Liam Williams the rematch I'm going to go for a Smith win on points Smith win on points. Okay, our listeners have gone with... Let me just quickly check. Our listeners have gone with Smith. Oh, no, sorry, Williams to win on points. And I'm going to I'm gonna agree with that. 43% went with Williams on points. It was very, very close. Um, some people went with Williams by knockout. Some people went with Smith by points. And the least most popular answer was Smith by knockout which I find quite surprising but yeah I think Liam Williams will probably win this on points but he won't have it all his own way but um, you know as long as he doesn't gas in those later rounds I think he's got it but it's a, it's a brilliant fight I'm so pleased it's happening. Moving over now to the Save Mart Arena in Fresno California. Uh, one fight to mention on this bill. This one's going to be shown on Box Nation. Two fights actually. Three fights to mention on this bill. Johnny Garcia 19-5 and five with one draw takes on Amir Imam 20 and 1. That should be decent. That's a 10 rounder there. Uh, also on this bill, Jose Carlos Ramirez, 20 and 0, fights Mike Yes Indeed Reed, 23 and 0, for the WBC Continental Americas Super Lightweight title. Mike Reed, a friend of the show, I wish him all the best of luck in this one. He didn't look too great in his last fight. Um, hopefully, he can pick up the game a little bit here in this fight. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good fight. Two guys here undefeated. Somebody's O must go. 43 and O, their combined records. But I don't know too much about Jose Carlos Ramirez, but he's the champion. So, um, 
Tough fight here for Mike Reed. Hopefully he gets the win. Wish him and his father all the best. Also, the main event, Arta Baturbiev, 11-0, fights for the vacant IBF World Light Heavyweight title against Enrico Colin, 23-1. Um, this fight, if I'm not mistaken, this one, yeah, the IBF title is for the one of the belts that uh, Andre Ward gave up when he decided to retire a few weeks back. Um, Ayaz, how do you see this fight going, Baturbiev and Colin? We've actually asked our listeners as well, and our listeners believe that Baturbiev will win by knockout. How do you see this fight playing out? I'm going to go for uh, Baturbiev on points. Baturbiev on points. Okay, I'm going to go with Baturbiev by knockout. Um, yeah, let's let's go a little bit quicker now. We're going to move on from this bill now to the final bill. It's Matchroom USA's launch, if you like, over in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, USA. A lot of people involved in this card, actually. It's going to be on HBO in the USA, on Sky Sports in the UK. There's a few promoters involved in it. Eddie Hearn, uh, Dimitri Salita. Um, there's also Starboxing are involved in it, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, let's talk about the fights on this bill. Firstly, our very own Connor Ben, 9-0 and on this bill, takes on Brandon Sanudo, 7-6. and That's going to be a six-rounder there. So um, all the very best to Connor Ben. Also on the bill, Cleta Seldin, a man I don't know too much about, but I've heard his name thrown around a lot lately. He's supposed to be quite good. He's 20-0. and He takes on Roberto Ortiz, who's 35-1 and with two draws. That's a 10-rounder there. Really excited for that one. Also on the bill, Jarrell Miller, of course, big baby Miller, 19-0 and with one draw takes on the tough guy Marius Wack 33 and 2 that should be a really good heavyweight scrap and the main event Daniel Jacobs 32 and 2 takes on Luis Arias 18 and 0 um Obviously, Danny Jacobs got the bigger name there, but Luis Arias, if, if our listeners listened to the, the time he was on um, a couple of weeks back, Luis Arias is so, so, so confident. Like, he's just completely so, he's just so confident that I'm quite scared to pick against him. I mean, firstly, I thought maybe Jacobs has probably got the experience on his side. He definitely has got the experience on his side. But Arias is a man on a mission. And I tell you what, it's a hard, hard task to actually bet against him. Because I do like Arias, and he's supremely confident. You almost want to believe everything he says. Um, so the, f- the two fights on this bill, I has Big Baby Miller versus Marius Wack. How do you see that one? We've asked the listeners as well. I'm going to go with uh, Miller by points. Okay, Miller on points. I'm going to go with Miller on points as well, but our listeners have gone with Big Baby Miller to win by knockout. And the main event, how do you see that one? And Jacobs I'm going to go by Jacobs by points as well. Jacobs on points. Right, I'm going to go with Jacobs by knockout. So have our listeners gone with Jacobs by knockout. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Lewis Arias gets the win. He's a friend of the show. I do like Lewis Arias. Got a lot of time for him, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard fight, this one. It's... Uh, it's, 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 I'll tell you one thing, I don't really see it going points, I think both men can crack, Arias has been putting people away lately in really, really good fashion, and I tell you what, I'm so pleased for him, I'm so, I'm so happy that he's getting this big fight, when we spoke you could just see the way he was talking to me, he was over the moon that he was even fighting in a main event on on, on HBO, I nearly said showtime then, and... Um, yeah, if he wins this fight, boy oh boy, all the promoters in the world are going to be trying to sign him. I don't know who he's with at the moment. He's definitely not with a big-time promoter. So, yeah, all the promoters in the world will be right over him like flies on you-know-what if he pulls off a win and looks good doing so. But all the very best to Luis Arias. All the very best to Big Baby Miller. We've now flown through the preview and there's nothing else to talk about. We've done all the talking. The last thing to do before we wrap up the show is, of course, to welcome... 
the second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the trainer of multiple world champions, the guru, Mr. Dave Caldwell. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, man. How you doing, man? All good, my friend. All good. So, Dave, we last spoke a few months ago. It's it's always good to check in with you from time to time. Uh, the hottest topic with yourself right now was the fight on the weekend, not the way anybody would have wanted the fight to end. Uh, disappointment for everybody involved. How did you have the fight scored at the you know at the time of the stoppage? By the way, I just want to ask. Yeah, well, listen, it was it was way too early. Um, you know the the problem the problem being is that. Um, People are making judgments on the fight as it happened there, but it was a fight that we expected to get off to be very, very hot. We thought Solis had, had, had come flying at us, and, and the tactics were just to keep it long, keep off the ropes, and then when you get a chance, work Solis's body um, to slow him down because he's, you know, he's 35 years old. In the in the first fight, Jamie didn't get going with his body shots until late on, and it still took effect on Solis because the last quarter of the fight. Solis slowed down, Jamie came into it. This time the plan was to make sure that he worked more on the inside uh, underneath with Solis' early doors so he would tire quicker. Um, and I was happy with how Jamie was performing in the early parts. You know, um, he, you know, he, he didn't go from rope to rope like he did do and stay far too long on the ropes getting, letting Solis get his attacks off. He was making Solis miss... Um, quite a lot of his attacks which is again another part of what we wanted him to do is when you're missing you tire out and when you're missing and you're getting caught to the body you tire out even more so you know it, it was all going to plan um, just unfortunate that the head clash happened and um, you know the fight was stopped um, I was gutted it was stopped um, it was uh, we wanted a chance for the corner to work at it because you know that's that's why we employ Cutman and the fight was, you know, it was so close to the end of the round. We was, you know, screaming at the referee, saying, you know, let let the fight go on. So, you know, we were disappointed. And I remember hearing you talk about you heard the 10-second clapper and then you yeah, believed that yeah. the, the fight went on for about an extra minute. Have you watched it back at home yeah. to, to reassess? Yeah, on the, on, on, back home, you don't you don't actually hear a clapper. Um, you do at the, at the end, you hear it again because it went twice. I heard a clapper early doors. Um, and, and so, therefore, I thought initially there was only, you know, only 10 seconds to go and then the doctor let the fight carry on. Um, and, and it went on, you know, went on and on and on. And then, you know, when, when the fight was actually stopped, there was only about 10, 10 14 seconds left, uh, 10 to 14 seconds left. I can't remember what, what the clock's saying. I can't remember now. But um, it was coming to the end of the round anyway. But, um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. Listen, no point crying over it. it was, were disappointed, um, and so you know, so was our cut man, you know, Jamie Sheldon. We paid for him to go out there, put him up in Monaco, and uh, and he didn't get to do his job. So it is one of those things. And one thing I do want to touch on, I mean, there's one way of looking at it in, in probably the most positive light. I think whereas Jamie's getting older himself, obviously we know he struggles to make uh, the bantamweight limit. In a yeah. way, if, if you believe that he got off to a bit of a rocky start, you may not. But in my opinion, I think that in some ways it's a good thing that he didn't. I don't want to say he he was going on to lose, but I'm saying it's a good way that he didn't have to rack up. How, how are you your... deducting that he got off to a rocky start after 
after two completed rounds. I mean, I even, know, I even mean... television had him winning, losing the first and winning the second round. The reason why he went to war with him and, and gambled in that third is because he just he thought fight's going to be ended. I'm going to try and stop him now. You know, that, 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 he wasn't going to do that from round three onwards. If you look, if you watch the fight, somebody's missing. People seem to have this perception that if you're throwing punches, you're winning the fight. Well, he was missing. You know, and it is it is what it is. Boxing the twelve round fight, you may lose the first few rounds if if you know as part of a plan where where it's you know you're making the guy miss, you're making him work, you're making him. But what people forget is he's thirty five. He also struggles away with the weight. Don't forget when um, when he was super flyweight champion, he, he failed on the scales. You know, he, he's a fellow. He, he struggles to make the weight as well. Both fighters do, but the fact is that Jamie came on strong. In the last fight, down the stretch, everybody saw that. You know, early doors Solis, second half of the fight, Jamie definitely had the better engine, and, and Jamie has got an engine. But to say he got off to a rocky start, I mean, that's a bit harsh. I mean, look at the first fight. Yes, he was pinned on ropes, and he was on the ropes quite, quite a lot more than what what he should have been. But the second fight wasn't. He was moving from space to space. I don't know, the way I had the first round, I think the first round was, was very hard to call. I actually gave that a 10-10, I hold my hands up and say that. I thought I thought uh, Solis, Solis grabbed the second round. I don't know, all I will say is, you know, we don't know what would happen in the la- in the later part, but I'm happy that, uh, that, oh, that so Jamie being, being honest, we're, we're not happy because Jamie was absolutely, you know, he was, he was doing everything he wanted to do early doors and the fight, you know, as far as we were concerned, we was dead, you know, dead happy in that corner. Um, the end of the first and second rounds, um, and we was just hoping to see, you know, Jamie deliver and perform. That doesn't do us any favors whatsoever, you know. No, I agree. I mean, the, you know, the preparation that he would have had to endure outside of the ring to to all kind of be for nothing. That 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 you know, that is a kick in the nuts. But I'm just glad that he didn't. Like I say, I'm not going to say that he was going to lose. I'm just saying I'm glad he didn't have to kind of find out that this really is it. I need to move up by getting a loss. I'm glad that that didn't have to happen. If yeah. it would have happened, I don't know. You know, I really hope it wouldn't have. Like I say, you know, we don't know what would have happened in the later rounds. But anyways, um, he's moving up now, Dave. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And will that be at yeah. Super Bantam? Uh, we're going to see what options there are. He's big enough, and um, you know, he's got the frame for the Super Bantam weight or for the weight really. So we'll see. We'll see what his options are and what the best best route is for him. Yeah, featherweight's a beautiful division domestically, of course. Um, a good win as well. The, the last month for Gavin, the, the twin brother, um, obviously he took on Agtai. Now Agtai is no world beater, but a first round knockout. Yeah. Some people say Gavin's yeah. not a puncher. He yeah. looked pretty good. No, but it is what it is. I mean, that you know that, that was a fight just to get him back out there. Um, it was a last-minute replacement opponent, and that was the best that we could get. Um, the fight that we we were preparing for would have been a nice little um, little domestic fight. Um, the kid would have come and, and and really, you know, he fancied it. I saw him doing an interview saying that he was, was going to beat Gav, so Gav was up for a, a fight, you know. Um, and then I think yeah, it was literally like two days that we had notice on on, on this fella, and when I looked at this fella. I thought, absolute stylist, a nightmare. All he does is run, like literally run. Um, so I said to Gavin, you know, go out there and, and you know, without loading up and, and forcing things, just go out there, put the pressure on him and get rid of him as quick as you can because otherwise you're one of these guys that's going to make make it look, you know, look, make it look a stinker. 
Um, and he didn't. He went out there and got rid of him. And he did it. You know, he did it looking good. You know, um, he, he was he was picking the right shots, working the body, and putting shots together right at the um, at the right time. So yeah, I, I was happy with him. It pains me how 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 underrated I think the you know the McDonald brothers are. It's uh, especially I know Jamie's well, I think very so. underrated. I think the are. Gavin, Gavin especially, I think lately. I mean, you know, for, obviously he got the world title shot. He didn't disgrace himself whatsoever. Is there a plan in place, perhaps for next year, for something big for Gavin? Well, if you have to have a, a big fight, a meaningful fight, and, and a meaningful win to get yourself back in the world title mix. Because look, you know, I'm, I'm honest. You know, he was fortunate to. And Gavin McDonald to get a WBC world title shot, you know that was because he he won the he won a belt a WBC version of a belt and got a high ranking. So he you know he he got up there. Um, but you know he, like you say he's he's underrated, but he's also um, overachieved for what you know for the fights that he's had. Um, you know because they're not flash, they're not you know devastating punches. They get overlooked. These twins. Um, Again, with Jamie, for some reason, it doesn't seem to get... People don't look at the, the good things that he does. It's, it's, you know, they always seem to give the credit to the opponents, like what you are saying there. You know, you've, you've never picked up once on on the body shots that Jamie landed on Solis. And when you stood there ringside and you've seen Solis wince and he's feeling the body shots, nobody's saying that. They say, oh, Jamie, you know, you're saying Jamie had a, a, a rocky start to his fight. Again, it's, it's Jamie being overlooked for, what, for the work that he does. It's just how people are. And... You know, the thing is, I think he's accepted that, um, and it's just it's frustrating. But some fighters, you know, some fighters can look crap for for six rounds, pull off one good shot, and everybody raves over them. Other fighters, you know, they might not be bangers, but they but they do good things throughout the fight, and and they get overlooked. So it is what it is. And I want to ask you about the, uh, the the two heavyweight encounters that we've seen, uh, you know, within the space of seven days. Obviously, it's funny what I'm seeing online. I mean, obviously, Anthony Joshua didn't really look his best, and then Deontay Wilder looked a million dollars against, you know, an out of shape Stavern. Now everybody thinks it's a fifty fifty fight. How do you assess those two performances, and how would you it see? It is a fifty the... fifty fifty fight. It's without doubt it's for pro coin. You know, uh, Deontay Wilder can punch. And it's not just one fight that, that's showing he can punch. He can punch. We've always known he can punch. People made a big deal about his weight. I mean, why? You know, Wilder's never been a heavy heavyweight. Yes, he's a tall heavyweight, a long heavyweight, but he's never been a heavy heavyweight. You know, so, so what if he weighs 15 stone 10? The man can punch, you know. Um, it, the, the, the funny thing is, is I've, I found that as they've tried to get into box more, his performances weren't as great. On Saturday, it just seems to go back to the old Wilder where he just come out swinging. And although it doesn't look great technically, it is very, very effective for him and it is absolutely devastating for his opponents. Um, Stavern came in like a fat pudding and he was disgusting. You know, here's a man that, you know, he's lucky to be getting another shot. Um, he gets another shot for a WBC world title and he comes in far worse shape than in the original one. Um, you know, he got what he deserved, if you ask me. Um, there's no way he deserved to, to become heavyweight champion again. Uh, and I'm glad that Wilder went out and made a statement. And it was a statement. Getting rid of him in a round was a statement. Um, so, yeah, uh, Wilder was fantastic. Uh, AJ against Takam was a completely different fight. Before the fight, I got absolutely ripped on social media because I was saying I could see Takam going 79 rounds because I think he's, he's tough. He knows how to block and ride shots 
and he you know he, he puts in good work you know um everyone's saying oh you just you just say it's a build pay-per-views oh you you this you that you know no it's my opinion because it's an opinion formed on on me watching Takam before in the past you know I've seen Takam I know what he's about and when you're in there with a guy that that is shorter than you um and you're not comfortable with punching downwards but the guy knows how to block and ride shots if a fighter knows how to block and ride shots it can become very frustrating to fight because you're not quite landing and you're exerting you know um I thought AJ did a lot of good things in that fight. Yes, it wasn't the most explosive, um, but I thought he did a lot of good things in there. Uh, Takam is tough, but people have this thing where they think AJ is a massive one-punch knockout man. No, he's not. You know, he's very fast and is an accumulative sort of puncher. I think he's the kind of guy that break, that breaks you down with his combinations, with his with his work rate, um, with his with the volume of his punches that land. Um. When he's when when you're riding and blocking a lot of shots, you're taking a lot of that accumulative effect away from you because you're not getting nailed every shot. And so the single shots that, that um, AJ was landing, although like rocking him or knocking him off balance, Taka was able to take because he wasn't taking three four shots at a time. Um, and that's why you know that's why it was always going to be a tough tough fight for him. Should it have been stopped? Not a chance. You know, I I I don't think it should have been stopped, but. You know, AJ answered that himself in the ring where he said, "You know, I'm not in control of the referee," um, and and you know, but he's he's right in saying so. But you know, it was a it was always going to be for me a, a long a longer fight, um, and it's a good education for him. What you've got to remember is when you're looking at these two fighters, you got to think Anthony Joshua's had 20 fights. And he's already made a couple of defences of his world title. He's already beaten a Klitschko. Um, John T. Wilder, he's, he's at about 45. So you know, I, I don't know what his exact record is. He might be 38 or something like that. But he's had a hell of a lot of more fights. And when you look at his record, look at the look at him at the both stages of their career. Who was John T. Wilder fighting after 25? And you, you know, look at it in perspective. AJ's still learning. Um, Wilder should be at his peak um, I think without a shadow of a doubt I think the Wilder fight is just a, a flip of a coin I, I don't know who wins that one um, I would say Deontay Wilder for me right at this stage could possibly be the favourite because um, if he starts like that and if he catches uh, Joshua in a whirlwind then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a very, very dangerous fight. But if if AJ can nullify the wild swings and, and pick the spots, then you know, then, then Joshua's got got the upper hand. But it's a it's a fight that I think's got to happen. I'd like it to happen um, next summer. I'd like, if possible, Joshua to get the uh, the WBO belt off of Parker first, and then for it to be every, for every belt out there. That'd be that'd be something special. Yeah, I just think the uh, the recent two performances from both guys, I think it's kind of shook up a lot of people's opinions. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was saying it was a 50-50 fight for a long time, but I think when you look at Deontay Wilder, as you said there, you know, he's got a lot more fights. I think he's had 39 now against 38 yeah. different guys. His best opponent's Stavern, and when you put it up against Joshua, you know, his best opponent obviously would have to be Klitschko. You've yeah. got... Um, 
Yeah. You've got Dillian White in the mix, Brazil there, but we actually spoke to Eric Molina on last week's show, and you know he's one of the few guys that shared the ring with yeah. both. He firmly believes that Deontay Wilder w- would stop Anthony Joshua, which I was quite shocked about, but uh, yeah, the opinions are certainly divided. Right, the, the rematch is set, of course, for Sunday the 17th of September. It's, uh, it's funny to see people not giving Bellew a chance yet again. It's, uh, he's an underdog yet again. It's, it's, it just shocks me some of the things I read online. Are we yeah. expecting a similar kind of fight to the first one, Dave? Obviously, injury aside. Well, I think it'll be a bit different, to be honest. Uh, I think you'll have two different fighters in there. Um, definitely two, two fitter, faster, sharper fighters. Uh, I think Hay will not be as reckless. I think he'll be more calculated in what he's doing. He'll, he'll look to set up his, his bombs. He'll look to make Tony make mistakes and look to, to punish him with, with super fast blitzing um, power punches. Um, a bit like the old David A. I think that's what he'll be hoping to go back to. Um, but unfortunately for him, you know, in, in Tony Bellew is, is fighting a very, very underrated boxing brain. Bellew's better than what you think. You know, everybody says that when they get in the ring with him. He's just, he is better than what you think. Um, and that's, Ultimately, we, you know, that's that's what we're looking at, and that's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be, uh, I think, it, when it goes, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. I really do. Um, there's going to be a lot of thinking in there, but when it goes, it's going to go. And another thing I do want to touch on again: a lot of people are kind of um, expecting David Hay to come in lighter this time round. It's yeah. been a long time yeah. since he's been that light. Since his return, he's been quite bulky. Which version of yeah. David Hay do you believe is more of a threat to Bellew? A slimmer and more lean David Hay, or the bulked up guy? It's, it's, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, we said that for the, for the last fight, we expected him to come in light. You know, the lighter lighter Hay is, the, the more dangerous he is. Uh, you go back to his earlier part of his career, you know, when when even when he fought the likes of Ruiz and people like that when he was at heavyweight, when he's when he's a bit heavy, he's just a bit sluggish. Um, he was never he was never at his best when he's heavy. Um, so the lighter he is, the better he is. The, the you know the lighter the more dangerous he is. Well, that's why we're you know we're expecting a, a very very dangerous fight. And do you want to give us any kind of prediction for that fight at all? Yeah, we win. It's the same as what we were saying what I said last time. We win. Simple as that. We um, we're not we're not bothered about the Twitter hate and the social media craziness that's that's out there where people just you know like to be violent and you know everybody's got opinions. We're all entitled to opinions, but a lot of people like to like to be ten men on on social media and, and, and stream out abuse when giving opinions. Um, there's no need for for abuse. Um, you think one man's going to win, you think the other one's going to win. But, you know, these people seem to think that they, they all know David A personally and, and the best pals with him and, and, you know, it gives them a right to be so abusive and take it to art that you might even have the cheek to, and the audacity to think that you might win. They seem to take it so personally. Um, but yet, you know, they've never even met him, they've probably been in the same room with him. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's strange how some people some people carry off on, on social media, you know. Um, we're just there to do a job. We're not really interested in, in anything else. We'll go in there and we'll prepare to the best of his abilities like we did last time. And then Tony will go in there and perform to the best of his ability like last time. And then at the end of it, when it's all said and done, 
it'll be a winner like last time. Yeah, social media it uh, gives gives nobody a platform to be somebody. So that's what that's uh, what I say about it anyway. Um, what 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 actually really surprised me? I want to say like Tony Bellew last time really seemed to improve with his head movement. I think sometimes people could criticise him perhaps for not moving yeah. his head too much. His his head movements really yeah. come on a lot. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's something that it's something that it works on. Um, it's like any any fighter out there can improve. If they put the work into it, you know, Bellew is no different to anybody else. Um, you know, contrary to what some people think, crap fighters don't win world titles. You know, crap fighters don't get to the top. You know, you might think they're crap, but they're not really crap. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, it's true, it's true. Um, I want to ask you this as well. Um, obviously, you know, David Hay was out for a while with his injury, and there was talks of Bellew perhaps having a fight in the meantime. Now, if he was to have fought a full-blown heavyweight, again, I don't know what would have happened, but he'd have been an underdog for sure. Was there ever like a you know like an attractive offer on the table because i feel like david hay i know it's a big money fight for both guys but i feel like david hay very much needed bellew more than bellew needed yeah. him so to speak yeah there were other options there you know there were other options that we were looking at but ultimately it was it was down to the fact that everybody thought that it were a fluke um which makes me laugh when when David A is banking on Tony uh, not having the motivation and what you know, what's his desire like for this fight? You know, his desire is the same as last time. You know, and in fact more so because he's, you know, peeved that people just again writ him off and say that it's a fluke. That's it. So you know, he wants all right. Please God, it's a fit David A, a fully healthy David A, and I'm going to beat a fully fit David A. And then what they're going to say? You know, and they'll probably just say the same thing. You know, there's, there's always a reason why why David A gets beat. You know, people that that love him will not accept that he can get beat, and and that's what will happen again on on uh, December 17th. He'll get beat, and then people will say that you know, well, you got lucky for some reason. Um, it'll be oh, he's lucky that he didn't fight him back in you know back in the day, or whatever. Well, yeah, you know, it is what it is. We're not we're not really interested in in. What, what people's opinions are about it, to be honest. It's just, we've just got a job to do. It's just another fight. Um, and that's what it is. And that's why Tony wanted this fight to, to put it to bed. Um, you know, the, the, the monsters of the division are just, they're too big. It's just not realistic. You know, he's, he's, he's not an heavyweight. Um, so he's not going to be fighting your, your Wilders and your, your Furies and your, your AJs and people like that. They're, they're giants. Um, so, so yeah, David A. Although he punches like one, is is not is not a monster heavyweight. And I want to throw this juicy fight at you now, Dave. World Boxing Super Series semi-final contest: Chris Eubank Jr. George Groves. Beautiful fight. Yeah. How do you see that one playing well, out? It's just it's a great fight. It's a great fight. Um, I can't wait to see it. Um, in fact, I think I'm going to go to that one. Um, Depends where it is. They haven't announced it yet, have they? No, they haven't. Um, but it's got to be over here somewhere. Yeah, it's got to be. It, it makes sense. Um, I don't know. You know, I just uh, after seeing Groves' last fight, um, I just think he's is easier to tag, and he's easier to close down now. Um, and if he is, then I can see I can see Eubank getting on top of him and. and Although he's not he's not a destructive puncher, he's physically strong. 
he punches very fast and he put, he does punch hard. Not not knockout merchant hard, but he punches hard. And and I see the the intensity um tiring groves out a lot and you know, I I could see Eubank winning this. I mean I hope listen, I hope I'm wrong because, you know, I'm 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 not I'm not Eubank's biggest fan outside the ring, but I, I respect and admire his work ethic. I think he's um as far as, you know, telling your kids to, to have some sort of ethic of, of you know, and discipline in, in the gym, he's right up there because he, he works hard and I can never begrudge uh, a man that works hard. I can never begrudge their success, um, regardless of what you think of, of how they are personality-wise and stuff like that. I'm not his biggest fan, but I, I respect what he does. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like I'd like George to win the fight, but I just look at them both at the stage of the careers, the energy of, of I think the energy of Eubank compared to the energy of, of Groves, I do. I, I think I think Eubank wins it. Um, the, even even the Groves jab doesn't seem as as great as what it or as effective as what it once was. Um, you know, the the Cox fight for me, that just I just thought, well, Chudnaf got right on top of him. Cox got right on top of him. Um, I think Eubank does as well. And although Eubank's not as, you know, he's, he's not as big as Groves, I just think I just think that he's he's got an inert toughness about him, where he can grit it out and and grind out a a, a win. I'm not saying he can. When I say you know, I can see him walking through through Groves. I don't mean he can give Groves free free shots and take everything that Groves has to throw, because George Groves got a great right hand. Um, I'm not saying he can take everything that lands, but I just think he'll block and ride enough to get his own shots off. And and when when Groves is the one under pressure, he's the one that get, tends to get ragged. So that's why I'm I'm leaning towards towards Eubank more. But again, like I said, you know I, I'm, I'm a complete neutral in it. I don't you know I'm I'm indifferent to who wins. I don't really care who wins as such. But I would rather George Groves win for myself, you know, because of history and what have you. I would, I would like Groves, Groves to win. It don't make any difference to my life. But if you ask me who I, who I don't, who do I want to win? Yeah, it's Groves. Who do I think will win? Nah, it's Eubank. It's, it's, it's one of those fights. It's, it's very hard to call, you know. It's uh, yeah. certainly going to be one worth watching. Any other fights that you want to give your opinion on at all before we let you go, Dave? No, not really. You call me, mate. Whatever, whatever you want to talk about, that's not a problem. I can't really think of any off the top of my head, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, I'll tell you what I am looking so forward far. to. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to uh, Liam Smith and Liam Williams. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Liam Smith and Liam Williams this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. How'd you see that? Um, uh, uh, do you know what? I got a feeling Liam Smith took him lightly last time round, um, and I think Williams boxed really, really well. Um, but I do think that that Smith had got to him, and, and the tide was changing. Um, I kind of think Smith's going to make a faster start this time, and then it's all about how how Williams can cope with that. Really, um, can he keep his boxing together? Um, uh, under more intense pressure for longer, I'm not so sure. I, I think maybe, I think Smith Smith beats him this time again. Well, Smith beats him again, should I say? 
Yeah, nice. It's a, it's another really uh, you know thrilling fight. I don't know. I'm yeah. a big I'm a I'm a big believer in in Liam Williams. I know he's only had a handful yeah, of fights, I am. but I think he's this, good. This what I'm saying I'm not saying I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's not capable of winning. I just I don't think that he's got to. Um, I think he's just got to show that when when things are are going against him, he's got to be able to turn it around. Um, it just seems as though everything was going his way, and then it it flipped a little bit. Williams uh, Smith started putting that pressure on him and getting to him, and there seemed to be a a, a visible change, um, quite drastically in that towards the end of that fight. And then obviously he got cut, and then he was just you know it it, it was it was pulled out and um. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've got the feel. I don't know. I might be wrong. It's, it's one of those great fights where you just don't know. There's a case there that I've made that, that thinks Williams will grow from that fight. You know, know that he had the beating of, of Smith and just make the adjustments and, and tough it out down the stretch this time. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it is a genuine 50-50 fight. I'm leaning towards Smith, but I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced. I don't think anybody is. It's uh, so many good fights on right now. It's a great yeah. time to be a boxing fan. Anything that you want to say at all just before we let you go, Dave? No, just same as usual. Appreciate all the fan support. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fans, a lot of positivity out there. And um, I respect that. And I appreciate it for myself and all my fighters and what we do. We just, we just out there, you know, trying as best, whether, whether you agree with us or not, you know, we're just trying as best and, and that's all we can do. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, listen, Dave, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. You know that, my friend. Best of luck with everything. Say hello to everybody in the gym for me, please, and we'll catch up very soon. Cheers, mate. See you later. Okay, and that wraps up episode 108 of the Box Hard Podcast. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the mama's boy, Dennis Duglin, and the guru, Dave Caldwell. The listeners are ahead in the Prediction League by one point, and there are, of course, another five points up for grabs this weekend. The winner of the Box Hard Podcast t-shirt competition from last week's show is at Valley Legend. Look out for more competitions coming soon. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumer has been I as Sumer. We hope that you've enjoyed this weekly boxing podcast thank you for listening and we'll see you next week